Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron's Sportsbook Yes. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good. Friday evening, everybody. It is Friday, December 2nd, 2022. As we enter the final month of the 2022 year, welcome to the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Aaron. I got Alan here with me as well as we kick off, uh, again, the final month of the 2022 year. I'm going to start off here real quickly tonight uh, by thanking our great sponsor, Chef G's Florida Barbecue uh, Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting. You might need a support group. We have a lot of information to get to here tonight. Uh, Alan, thank you for joining us. Uh, how are you this evening? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Glad to be here. Really glad to be doing this show. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And we're going to have a great show, as you mentioned, so I'm excited. Absolutely. And hopefully everybody had a great uh, holiday this past week, Thanksgiving, of course, uh, whether you had turkey or ham or you know fish. Some people do that sometimes. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed yourselves and uh, we're able to uh, spend time with family and friends. I want to start off here tonight uh, with some breaking news. All right, so from the hot stove of Major League Baseball, this story broke about an hour and a half ago. Uh, New York Mets pitcher uh, Jacob DeGrom has been there for many, many years, uh, one of the uh, better pitchers in baseball, opted out of his uh, deal with the Mets back uh right after the World Series concluded, and today, tonight, he has signed uh, reportedly a five-year, $185 million contract with the Texas Rangers. That was a little bit of a shock uh, to most of us, including myself. Um, Alan, I want to get your quick take on that uh, before we go further in-depth on baseball here tonight. Yeah, it's it's very obvious that DeGrom basically took the money and ran because, you know, the Rangers – I don't really see them being a contender. And it was a situation where the money looked real good for him. He took it. You know, I was a bit surprised that not so much that he left New York. I was just a little surprised that he left for the Rangers. And usually when you're taking a contract of multi-years, you kind of want to get a team that's at least all right or pretty good. I was a little surprised that he went to the American League and went with the Rangers that is actually a big change. But, you know, you can't really fault someone at the end of the day taking the money. I was just a little surprised at the team. Yeah, I'd heard the Rangers mentioned as kind of a uh, dark horse a few weeks back uh, as a place. Now, I will say this. I think they're going to be a lot better in Texas than they've been in the past. Obviously, now you've got Bruce Bochy coming on as the manager. Uh, They've got some other good pieces in place there. So I think it's just kind of getting – uh, a little bit more of a foothold in that division. But that's a tough division to win. You've got, you know, the defending champion Astros at the top. Um, Seattle's obviously come on really strong here this year, and I think they're going to be really good for a while to go. And then, you know, the Angels are going to somehow get back, uh, I'm sure, to at least being a threat in that division at some point. Let's not forget Oakland. I mean, they have a lot of good young players in their farm system coming up. So um, this is a little bit of a head-scratcher to some degree, but I, my thought on it is this, just a quick take is he probably had some conversations with a few other teams and it was 
right from the get-go, hey, whoever offers me the biggest loot here at the very beginning, I'm going to take it. And the reason I think that's the case, this is a guy who, when he is healthy, he is one of the best pitchers in baseball, no doubt about it. But the problem with him has been he's had many, many injuries over the last several years. So if he found a team that was willing to guarantee him those big dollars right off the bat, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to shy away from it. So um, definitely a, a bit of a strange uh, signing, in my opinion, not strange in, in, in a, you know, weird signing sense. Just not, I didn't think he was going to go there. Uh, that's really my take on it. So, um, but that was our breaking news. I think this is the first domino to fall. I think between tonight's show and next Friday's show, we'll probably have a few more big moves made as we approach the uh, winter meetings. Those are coming up here in just a few weeks. Uh, that's usually where a lot of the big stuff either gets done or at least gets uh, the ball rolling on. So, um, Speaking of pitchers, uh, obviously Jacob DeGrom being one of the great ones in the game today. Uh, earlier this week, uh, Hall of Fame pitcher Gaylord Perry, uh, 84 years old, uh, unfortunately passed away. Um, longtime major league pitcher, played for a number of clubs, including the Braves, uh, during his uh, long tenure in big league career. Uh, so we want to take a brief moment of silence here tonight to pay our respects uh, to the late Hall of Fame pitcher Gaylord Perry. All right, again, uh, Gaylord Perry passing away earlier this week at the age of 84. And, again, our condolences to his uh, friends, family, former teammates, and, of course, uh, the fans that uh, he leaves behind as well. Yeah, I just wanted to chime in and just say something about Gaylord Perry. I I actually had a chance to meet Gaylord Perry up in Cooperstown. Him and Tony Gwynn were actually really cool friends, and, me and my friend met Tony Gwynn as well as Gaylord Perry, the four of us. And the nice thing about Gaylord Perry is that he's really easy to talk to, really cool guy, and he's definitely going to be missed. One one story I will tell you about Gaylord Perry is that <laughs> when I was speaking to Tony Gwynn and we were talking and he was he was mentioning how, hey, I heard that you ran into Gaylord Perry at the in Cooperstown, not just not just at the museum, but down the street eating food. And I was like, "Yeah, how did you know that?" And he goes, "I asked him. I said, did Gaylord Perry tell you that?'" And he goes, "No, your friend told me." I was like, "Oh, okay, that's Tony Gwynn telling me." But Gaylord Perry is, is definitely a great guy, <laughs> and and, I, and he's going to be really missed. Outstanding pitcher, Hall of Famer, and I know a lot of people revered him. So definitely prayers and condolences to all his friends, families, fans of Gaylord Perry. Really cool guy, great pitcher, and he will be missed. Absolutely. That's a very good uh, very good point there, and a good story, too. That was really uh, neat to hear that uh, here this <laughs> evening. So we're going to talk a little bit more uh, baseball uh, news uh, here in just a little bit. Uh, as, uh, of course, uh, the hot stove and all the baseball trade rumors and signing rumors and that sort of stuff is really starting to heat up at this point. So we'll go over that here in just a little bit. Um, tonight we're going to talk, uh, of course, uh, NFL as we are in the home stretch. We're in the final month of the season. The playoff picture is starting to really present itself to us now. 
Uh, we're going to kind of go through what we think is going to happen. We'll have our picks here this evening. Um, there's a question that you posed to me in our, uh, our show headline here tonight, um, breaking down whether the Packers should go ahead and stick with uh, Jordan Love or, uh, you know, have Rodgers uh, start. And then also is the uh, criticism of the Bucks coaching staff, is it correct? Um, so we'll start off uh, with that question, actually. I know that there's been a lot of criticism there um, in Tampa the last maybe two weeks or so. Really, this past week probably is more, um, more of where the target was on that. What are your maybe a situation where because they're not playing quite as well, there's a little bit more of the dirty laundry coming out, or is this just kind of what happens during the course of a season? It's kind of what happens during the course of the season, but I will say this much. There was a couple things that I noticed on the last game as far as a coaching standpoint where the game was getting towards the end of regulation and the Cleveland Browns were within the – they were within seven yards of scoring a touchdown. There was a little less than two minutes left of the clock, and the Bucks had all three timeouts. I would have called a timeout. I was even telling my son while watching it, I was like, the Bucks should call a timeout here because if they do score a touchdown, you're leaving yourself an out. Had it been Bill Belichick on the sideline, he would have called a timeout just because you can't expect something like Tom Brady, what he did against the Rams to happen all the time. And, and quite frankly, the Bucks did their thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to take anything away from the Bucks, But the Rams – did kind of make it easy for them and the fact that they didn't really guard against the sidelines the way they should have. They should have called a timeout to preserve some of the time and not let the game go to overtime. I felt as if they relied on their defense a little too much. From a coach's standpoint, that I would agree with the criticism because for you to have three timeouts and just let it go thinking that you, your defense is going to stop them there, and if they did, if you didn't stop them, that you were going to go up the field and score a touchdown, I think was a bit much. And I can't put it all in the coaching staff. I will say this much. The, the Bucks should have beat the Cleveland Browns. What the Bucks did was they played down to the Cleveland Browns record. That's what they did. I wouldn't say they played down to their level, but I don't think they took the team seriously as a team that, okay, they got a, they got a losing record. It really doesn't matter if we lose this game. And they kind of played like that. That's how I felt like they played like, hey, it's, it's no big deal if we lose this game. Had the Cleveland Browns had maybe a winning record, kind of like how the Seahawks did, the Bucks win the game. And that's how I feel like the Bucks are doing as a, as a team is playing down to the other team's level, depending on who's playing. Yeah, and I, I really felt like that game Sunday, I did get to watch a little bit of it. Um, really felt like the Bucks really beat themselves more than the Browns beat them, if that makes sense. I, I think they gave Cleveland too many opportunities, and just that's the way the game ended up going. Um, I don't see a very hungry team in Tampa right now, and that's got to change. If they don't, if they don't get the, the ship righted this, this month, I mean, they've got to three and one. I think they have four games left. Three and one, they have to go three and one to, to win that division and go to the playoffs. Because it's really them in Atlanta at this point. Uh, Falcons and uh, rather the uh, Saints and the Panthers are pretty much, uh, pretty much almost all but mathematically uh, out of it. So um, I just don't feel like Tampa has the hunger this year, and I think it, it 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 almost could end up being a situation where a 
team that goes eight and nine ends up winning that division, which is really, really kind of gross uh, from a competitive sense. And that would be, if this is really and truly Brady's last year, that'd be a really bad note to go out on. Yeah, I agree with you. And the thing about it is, I, I just feel the same. I feel like even with a guy like Mike Evans, much I like Mike Evans, I feel like he's used to Tom Brady. Like he's not in awe of Tom Brady like he was in the past where, hey, I'm playing with a Hall of Famer. I got to make sure I look really good and I'm all hyped up to play great all the time because this guy I know is the man. I think it's a situation where you're used to Tom Brady now. You're not in awe of him. He's just one of the guys. So you just kind of go through the motions. Mike Evans, <clears throat> as much as I like him, has not played well this year. Him and Tom Brady don't seem like they're on sync. And, uh, you know, a lot, some of this is Tom, but a lot of it is Mike Evans, too. He's not running down the field like he used to. He's not jumping after the ball. You can tell he's not giving all the effort that he used to. Do I think they can flip a switch and do this and win? Yes. But at the same token, you kind of don't want to do this late in the year where you flip switches. You kind of want to get hot, get on a page, and ride that wave. So I, I wouldn't call the Bucks out. I just think that they're they're kind of being lazy. They're just turning on switch when they think they need to and turn it off is what they're doing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And, it, you know, where they're at right now, if this had happened, you know, September when the first month of the season was going on, probably not a big deal. And especially now they've added that extra game. So you have 17 games now during the regular season as opposed to 16 in the past. You know, when you're in a division like the NFC South, it is not really overwhelmingly dominated by one team right now. You can kind of have those mistakes happen early in the year so that you can figure out what to do for the remainder of the season. When you're playing that way going into December, there's a lot of problems there. So I think they, they definitely need to win, either win out or win, win three games out of four. Um, to, to really put themselves in a good position because Atlanta is hungry. You can tell they've got the talent there, and I think they're going to be a team to really uh, you know, go up against over the next several years. Maybe not the best this year, but they're certainly getting better. So, um, you know, the other thing that you had, uh, had had asked me, and we've kind of gone back and forth. We've texted about this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is hurt up in Green Bay. Uh, they did have uh, Jordan Love come in and play, and he played pretty well, actually. Um, yeah, he did. Uh, uh, a little while back, uh, was that? I'm trying to remember if that was the Eagles game or the, the game prior to that. Uh, I think he may have actually played in both okay. games. Was it just the Eagles game? Okay. Um, a lot of stuff going on this past week. So, <laughs> um, but he, he came in. He, he he was accurate in his passing. Uh, you know, he threw a, a long touchdown pass to um, uh, to the young receiver um, Watson. Uh, uh, Watson. Watson. So I mean. That, that could be a, a you know a tandem for the next several years in Green Bay. Hopefully it is. Um, I want to flip this around on you though. I want to get your take on you know whether whether they should go ahead and maybe not necessarily bench Rodgers, but have theories that uh, that Love comes into play because look, there's no way the Green Bay Packers are going to the playoffs this year. It's pretty much all but written at this point. Should they go ahead and say okay, we're going to start Rodgers, but we're going to put Love in? in the second series or in the second quarter or what have you. And let's see what this guy's really made of so that we know going into 2023, is he our guy or do we need to maybe bring in somebody else? What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. I, I definitely do think 
I know Aaron is going to start against the Bears. They, they've said that, that he, he basically is going to give it a go until they're mathematically eliminated. That's Aaron Rodgers saying that. I get what he's saying, but I do think, to your point, that's the best thing to do is to start Aaron and let Jordan Love come in later in the game because I feel like you don't want to wait to 2023 to, to play Jordan Love. It's good if you are not going to make the playoffs – I think it's very good for you to start giving Jordan Love some reps because you kind of want him to get used to playing every day. And not only that, you want to get him comfortable for maybe four or five games starting into 2023. And to me, to your point, he did really well. I know it was towards the end of the game, but, man, his, his throws were right on target. And I would have to say, he, you know, for a guy, in, in my opinion, that was real rusty, I mean, he, he hasn't played in a while, you'd expect him to have a lot of rust. But he actually fit in really nicely, looked very comfortable back there. I think, unfortunately, I know Aaron has the big ego, he has the bravado, he's not going to give up that spot until the team is, math, quote, quote, mathematically eliminated. But I do think you got to give Jordan Love some playing reps. Yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, 100% agree with you there. Um, giving him that opportunity to show what he has a little bit more than he played in this past game. You know, there's four games left in the season, so, uh, you know, to give him an opportunity to maybe start at least one game uh, the rest of the way, because they're going to get eliminated at some point from the playoffs, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it gives uh, confidence uh, in, uh, in Jordan Love going forward. And that, that's a huge thing for a young player to – you know, have his coach and have his organization be behind him and say, hey, we believe that you're going to be the guy going forward. I think that really builds uh, in him because you remember last year when they played Kansas City, Rodgers was out with COVID, I believe it was, and they had Love playing in that game. He looked like a deer in the headlights. And it's a 180, uh, 180 turn now from where he was a year ago to where he's at now. He's developed. He's figured it out. Um, granted, it's only been a couple of series that he played, but you know, I think he looks a lot better and uh, very well could be the, the guy going forward and maybe as soon as next year, which I think is what most people think right now. No, I agree. I, I think, you know, I liked, I was, thought, was very, very impressed with what I saw. I expected it to be a little bit maybe a continuation of what we saw already. But, no, he looked very comfortable. He looked very loose. He looked prepared. You could tell that he has put in a work. All things are positive. And I think you have to give him some more playing reps this year, not wait until start 2023 and give him a bunch of reps. I think you have to kind of work him in towards the end of this year, let him feel more comfortable, let him do his thing, let him get some more learning experience. Because, you know, you can sit on the sideline as much as you want, but it's there's a difference being on the field. There's nothing that replaces on-field experience. And I think if you give them some experience now, I think it'll play big dividends starting next year because I think Jordan Love with that Christian Watson, they both being, you know, Christian Watson is a guy that looks like he's a, he's been around the league for a while, but he looks great. That kid, that wide receiver looks awesome. And it's good for them to be younger players growing up together. So I hear what Aaron is saying, but you're not mathematically eliminated. But in my view, you kind of are eliminated. What are your thoughts about the Packers at this point really making a run for it, the playoff? Well, I mean, 
yeah, even if they were to win out, uh, what would they be? They'd be nine and eight, I believe, uh, if they were to win out the rest of the way. So they'd be a game over 500. They're not in control of their own destiny. Now, they are in the sense of if they lose, they're out. They lose one more game, they're pretty much out of the playoff picture. But if they win out, which would be nice to see that happen, get on a good streak, go into the offseason with some momentum, it would take a lot of other things happening for them to be able to get into the playoffs. You'd have to have some teams lose, fall out of the playoff picture. Um, a lot of things are going to be dependent on what happens in that uh, NFC, uh, NFC East. The, you know, the, I mean, the whole division is basically in the playoffs at this point. So um, I just don't think they have a, a real good chance, I suppose, if the mathematics still are open. There is a very slim chance, but I would say one in a million right now. It's, it's pretty low uh, at this point. <laughs> wow. So you're, and, and I, pack it you're saying pack it in, let Jordan Love play. Let the pack pack it in. Um, you know, I'm not saying you, you don't go out there and try to play competitive football. You definitely go out there and try to win. But you know what? This is an experiment now. You can now take those opportunities. Take, take some shots. When you, when you have nothing left to lose, you can gamble a little bit in terms of, you know, let's, let's put Jordan Love in there. Let's try to run some plays we maybe don't normally run and see if those things pay off for you. Um, I'm not sure even if this team was to make the playoffs that they'd get very far. I just don't feel like they are in sync right now. And here, here's the thing people have to remember, too. Go back about four years ago, well, a little after the 2018 season concluded, and they brought in Matt LaFleur to be the new head coach. And he's not that much older than Aaron Rodgers. There's maybe a four- or five-year gap between the two of those guys. So there was a lot of uh, back and forth. There was a lot of, you know, uh, I don't want to say controversy, but there was a lot of um, – Maybe maybe Rodgers was wanting out back then, and because of the style of offense that Matt Lafleur had had been around, he is more of a you know we're gonna run with the quarterback a little bit more. And I think most people remember, I, I know I remember pretty well that the talk at the time was will you know will he fit in the system? Rodgers that being uh, in in the Lafleur system and. When you go thir- when you win 13 games three years in a row and go to the playoffs, a lot of that stuff kind of gets silenced in the background. But now it's coming back up again. You know, last year or two years ago, he wanted out of Green Bay. They finally kind of smoothed things over. This year, obviously, has been just a complete disaster from the very beginning. And I think that the reason they drafted uh, Jordan Love uh, because he fits the system that Matt Lafleur, you know, runs. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that goes moving forward. Here's what I'll say. They trade Rodgers away this offseason or he retires or whatever it is that keeps him from being a part of this team. They throw Jordan Love out there and they go three and 14 and he throws 30 interceptions and, you know, only throws, you know, 15 touchdown passes. Well, they'll move on in another direction pretty quickly as far as the quarterback's concerned. So, um, but, you know, this is a time. And here's the great thing about Green Bay go all the way back to 1992 here we are in 2022 that's 30 years ago we've had two quarterbacks two primary quarterbacks in that 30-year period no other organization can ever say anything like that the closest would be you know san francisco with um, you know montana de young which was about a 17 or 18 year span of, of quarterbacks almost 20 year span of quarterbacks that they had so this is a really unique thing we're seeing happen here most organizations go through you know, a continuous cycle. I mean, look at Miami. 
as an example. They finally found their guy. It looks like in Tua, but how long has it been since Dan Marino retired there? It was 1999, so you're talking 20-plus years. So they finally found their next, quote-unquote, franchise quarterback. So um, I think it'll really uh, be an interesting offseason. I think that the Packers will have to look at the draft and, and what they need to do to improve there, and we'll see what happens. It'll be an interesting offseason. Yeah, it will be definitely. And, you know, my question to you on that topic is one meme that I did see is that Aaron, they felt the comparison is is being like Brett Farr because he came up, like you mentioned, the two quarterbacks. Aaron came up as a predecessor of, uh, you know, he came up as the predecessor, and now it feels like things are switched. They're kind of like (laughs) – they're saying that the comparison is that Aaron is turned into a Brett Favre in a way. Do you feel the same? I think almost to a T, it's the exact same situation over again. And let me elaborate on that a little bit. So Aaron Rodgers was picked, I believe, was he 24th or 25th overall in 2005, um, coming out of Cal, California. And I remember that year, because I used to, I mean, I still do, but back in those days when the draft was on Saturdays, I used to go to a draft party every year, and wow. my, neighbor, my neighbor, funny enough, was a huge Packers fan, so uh, we would get together and grill out. And I remember um, Rodgers was expected to possibly be the number one overall pick that year. He grew up in California. He grew up a huge 49ers fan, and he is a rollout uh, play-action passer, still is now. He can move around a little bit better than maybe some of the previous quarterbacks that ran that kind of offense, but he ends up not getting taken by the 49ers. They went with Alex Smith that year, and he had a pretty good career, of course. Um, but he keeps falling and falling and falling. And finally, at 24 or 25, Green Bay takes him. And I think a lot of people were kind of like, what? They got, they got Brett Favre. Brett Favre's going to play forever. So uh, fast forward, or think about it this way. The Packers had just that season hired Mike McCarthy, who had formerly been the offensive coordinator for who? The 49ers. So – Here's a guy who had run that West Coast-style offense in San Francisco. Now he's going to Green Bay. Hey, I'm going to bring a quarterback with me from California who knows how to run this offense. So it was a match made in heaven back then, even though they didn't actually use him for three years. So I find it very interesting how kind of it's come full circle at this point. But, yes, you're you're absolutely right. It is almost the same situation. And the whole ego thing, I think (laughs) Brett Favre had an ego that uh, (laughs) you, you couldn't couldn't be in the room with it kind of thing and I think uh, Aaron Rodgers has kind of become that same type of uh, of individual uh, kind of you know a little bit over cocky um, I'm not sure if I see him continuing to play beyond this year but I heard a rumor and this is kind of another parallel here one of the teams who has a potential to get into the playoffs this year but also has a struggling quarterback is the Jets. And I, I'm a little disappointed, I guess, tonight that we're not hearing from Luke, so I'm sure he'd have a lot to say about that. But it'd be interesting to see if he got traded in New York, um, you know, kind of the same uh, – following the same lines that Brett Favre did, uh, what, 15 years ago. So, No, I think Aaron's going to play. I don't think he's going to play with the, the Packers, but I do think he's yeah. going to do just like Brett Favre. I think he's going to play. I, my gut feeling is the way I've been seeing him, the fact that he's willing to go out here this even this week – I mean, I know he said he's healthy and he's going to give it a go, but that has shown me that he wants to be the starter and he's not looking to give up that role. 
So I do think also, you know, one of the guys that he kind of admires is Tom, Tom Brady. I definitely do think Aaron Rodgers is going to play past this year. I don't think he's going to retire, even if the Packers, because of that kind of like that ego thing, if the Packers move on, I still think Aaron Rodgers is going to continue to play, more so than Brady. I think this uh, this weekend playing the Bears, though, I think part of it, too, is he's not ready to sell any of the stocks that he owns in the Bears. You know, he doesn't want to share those with, uh, with anybody, including Jordan Love. I think if they were playing somebody else, he might take a seat this weekend. But, you know, the, the Bears, I mean, you're talking about probably probably one of the top three rivalries in the NFL. You know, you get the Cowboys and the 49ers. Um, you get the Cowboys and, I guess, the Commanders now. Um, and then you've also got, of course, uh, the Bears and the Packers. Uh, it's just one of the great uh, rivalries in sports. So I, I don't think he wants to give up. I, you know, I think for him, beating the Bears is the next best thing to go into the postseason at this point. I think he wants to put that nail in their coffin. They're already out of the playoff picture anyways. But I think he wants to, to solidify that legacy of beating the Bears, and then he'll move on. I see him playing uh, beyond this year as well. Um, but, yeah, definitely not with Green Bay. No, I agree. I think he's going to play, but not with Green Bay. That's I agree with you on that. I think he's still going to play, no doubt about it. More so him than, than Tom Brady. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I think Brady's done, but that's a whole other conversation for another time. So, <laughs> uh, Well, now we can get to our picture tonight. I know we've uh, – sure. funny thing is uh, you and I are basically neck and neck uh, through this point of the year. You beat me by one game this past week. Um, we are essentially a, a dead tie for our overall season statistics this uh, this year, which is crazy. Um, some weeks were really good. Some weeks were both really bad. Uh, it's been kind of a funny year in that sense, but we'll start off here. Um, both of us picked uh, Buffalo uh, to win last night over the Patriots, so we're good there. Uh, we'll go to the next game Sunday. Get the Steelers. They're four and seven. They got a chance, I guess, to still get uh, Mike Tomlin over the hump uh, to keep his streak of winning seasons on, on, you know, alive. They're going into Atlanta. They're playing the Falcons, who right now are five and seven. I have Atlanta, the home team, winning this game on Sunday. Yeah, I actually do think they're going to play for Mike Tomlin. I think that's really the only thing they could look forward to. They looked actually not great during the Monday night football game. But they looked all right. They looked better than I thought. So I'm actually going to go with the Steelers. I just feel as if their defense, when it comes down, is just hard to deal with. So I have the Steelers beating the Falcons. All right. And then, uh, as we just discussed there before, uh, you get the 4-8 and eight Green Bay Packers. Uh, They're going on the road, of course, to play the Bears in Chicago. The Bears are 3-9. and nine, And just wanted to throw some – additional math out there there's actually five games left in the season for both of these two teams so um i have the packers winning over the bears i think this will be a classic uh rivalry game the records don't matter at this point it's a little bit more for pride i guess at this time so i have the packers winning there in chicago on sunday yeah i actually agree with you on this one i do have the packers also beating the the bears you know what ended up happening is i just feel as if it's hard to go against Aaron Rodgers. And even I would even say Jordan Love, if he plays against the Bears, I just feel as if, you know, the Packers' record is just too good. They actually did look pretty good. 
against the Eagles. So I think they're going to be clicking. It is a rivalry game. They usually get up to play the Bears. So I, I agree with you. I have the Packers beating the Bears. Next matchup is one that was a little bit difficult, in my opinion, to pick because both these teams are four and seven. Both these teams look like they are on the cusp of breaking out and becoming uh, contenders. You have the four and seven Jacksonville Jaguars going on the road to Detroit. Also four and seven, of course, to play the Lions. This was a toss-up for me. It was a hard one to pick. Um, I'm going to go with Jacksonville in this game. I feel like they're just a little bit more well-rounded at this point. Uh, although, the Lions, I mean, you could really pick either one. I think you'd be in a good position. What are your thoughts on this game Sunday in Detroit? Yeah, the, the Lions actually have, have been showing me something over the last couple of weeks. Jamal Williams is doing his thing. I, I kind of like how they involving everybody in the offense. They have Swift. They also have a great receiver there. And I think the Lions are starting to, are not as bad as their record shows. I definitely do that. So I have the Lions winning against a very good team, Jacksonville, that's come along. But I think the, the Lions with their running game is going to just edge it out. So I have the Lions winning this game. All right. And then you got a battle of two teams who are trying to make the postseason of course, um, the 7-4 uh, and four Jets, uh, they've had some quarterback issues. They've had a couple games that they lost that they probably should have won. Uh, they're going on the road to play the Vikings, who are at 9-2. and two. This is actually one of my upsets. I have the Jets going on the road to Minnesota and beating the Vikings. Yeah, you know, Minnesota has been one of those teams that's been great at times and kind of like unpredictable, I agree. But I, I just feel as if, they are a tougher team to beat at home. I just think with their rituals and things, the Jets did look very good in the last game, but I just feel as if Minnesota is going to do what they need to do to win this game just enough, and I feel like Justin Jefferson is hard to stop. Cook is going to start doing his thing a bit. I feel as if Minnesota has just a little bit too many weapons, so I have Minnesota winning at home. So by my count, that is three games now that we are not in agreement on. So one of us is either going to pick up on the other or <laughs> um, there's going to be a, a, a couple degrees of separation here after this week. So um, another big division rival here, it's uh, the 7-5 and five Red Hot Washington Commanders. They have been probably one of the hottest teams in football the last uh, five weeks or so. A couple weeks, uh, four or five weeks ago, it looked like they were dead in the water and out of it. And Ron Rivera's job was on the line. Now suddenly at seven and five, they're going on the road to play the division rival seven and four Giants. I have the Commanders because of their, you know, streak that they're on. I have them actually winning this game in New York, or I guess it's technically in New Jersey, but against New York. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I do have the Commanders. They're they're starting to look really good. Their defense has been really solid too. They're starting to put the pieces together. It's starting to look like the team that we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the year. Heineke is doing his thing. So I, I agree with you. I have the commanders beating the Giants. I just feel as if the commanders have more weapons to their disposal than the Giants. So I have the commanders winning the game as well. All right. And then you got the, uh, the Titans. Uh, they're 7-4. and four. They're going uh, into Philadelphia to play the 10-1 and Eagles. I feel like Philadelphia is in the driver's seat for the number one seed in the NFC, so I have the Eagles winning this game. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I do think the Titans are going to be a tough matchup for the Eagles, but I just feel as if I think Derrick Henry is going to have some success, a lot of success this game and do really well, but I do think at the end of the day it's going to be tough for the Titans to stop both the run game as well as the passing game. So I have the Eagles also winning this game against the Titans. Three and eight Denver Broncos, probably one of the most disappointing teams in the NFL this year. Uh, they go on the road to Baltimore. Ravens trying to get back uh, in the win column. They're seven and four. I have the Ravens as a lock pick here this week over Denver. Yeah, I agree. I have the Ravens also winning this game too. I just feel as if this is going to be the battle of what it should have been as far as MVP between Russell and Lamar. I just feel as if Baltimore is a, is a better team all the way around. I agree with you. The Broncos have been extremely disappointed this year, but I do think the Ravens are going to handle that business and win this game. I have the Ravens beating the Broncos too. All right, so now it's the return of uh, Deshaun Watson. He's coming back uh, after his long suspension. Uh, now as a quarterback at the Browns, they're 4-7, and seven, and they're going on the road to play his former club, the uh, the uh, Houston Texans, who are 1-9-1. One, um, you know, I know it's going to be a, a little bit of a different look, obviously, to the Browns, but I have the Browns actually winning this game Sunday there in Houston. Yeah, it is going to be a big televised game because of the fact, well, the fact that it's Deshaun Watson's return. I do think Nick Chubb is an outstanding running back. I do think Deshaun Watson is going to struggle a bit in this game because it's been a time off, but I do feel as if the Browns are going to do what they need to do with Nick Chubb. He's not going to make as many mistakes against the Texans. I think he's going to win this game. This is actually a very good game for him to come back in against a, a, a not-so-great opponent. So I do have the Browns with it again. I agree with you. All right. And then uh, next matchup is uh, 65 Seattle Seahawks going on the road to play the uh, defending Super Bowl champs, probably one of the other uh, most disappointing teams in the NFL, the Rams, who are at 3-8. and eight. I have Seattle winning this game. Yeah, I agree with you. I have Seattle also winning this game. I just think that you're right. The Rams have been one of the most disappointing and shocking Shockingly bad teams of this year. I just feel as if Stafford is not going to play, and I think the Seahawks are doing their thing. So I have the Seahawks winning this game as well. Next matchup is one that I think everyone wants to see here. Uh, it's a rematch of uh, Super Bowl 19 or 20. I can't remember which one it was. Anyways, uh, the 8-3 and three Miami Dolphins, led by, of course, former 49er uh, offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel. They're going back to San Francisco. 49ers are red hot. They're seven and four. I have the 49ers as an upset pick here on Sunday there in Santa Clara. Yeah, I agree. I have San Francisco winning this game too. I just feel as if I know both teams are, are both very good offensively, but I feel San Francisco, the difference is the defense. I think they have a much better defense. So, I think they're going to do their thing, San Francisco. It is going to be very interesting to see, but I have San Francisco winning the game, too. All right, and then a rematch of the previous AFC title game. It's the 9-2 and Chiefs going into Cincinnati to play the 7-4 and Bengals. Bengals have gotten back in the right mode here over the last couple games, but I have Kansas City going into Cincinnati and winning Sunday. 
Yeah, that's going to be an offensive explosion game, but I do agree with you. I do have the Chiefs also winning. I just think this is, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to do his thing. It's just very hard to stop the Chiefs, and I just think the Chiefs are going to go in there and do their thing and beat the Bengals. All right, then you got the uh, L.A. Chargers at 6-5. and five. They're going on the road to play the Las Vegas Raiders, who are at 4-7. and seven. Um, You know, the Raiders have kind of been, uh, the last couple of weeks, kind of been back and forth. They've looked really good. They looked really bad almost at the same time, but I have, uh, I have the Chargers winning this game. This one was a tough pick. I got to give props to my guy. In fact, I'm going to give a round of applause here. That's the Josh Jacobs for doing his thing last week. I mean, the guy was a beast. So definitely congratulations to Josh Jacobs having such a huge game. But I, I, I do think that the Raiders are starting to put things together. I do feel as if they're getting hot now. I have actually the Raiders winning this game. And having said that, we have a, a great call on the line. Let's go ahead and take that call now. Jets come in to the People Stadium. This is a very important game. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Island and Arizona. So the candy ass Jets come in here with a great white hope. They're roll in and play the Minnesota Mosquitoes in the great state. Nine and two, seven, four. I'm going through twenty-five. But don't oh. the price of trap game, trap game, trap game. All right, so I guess they bring I saw the trucks coming in with all the beer. It must be having a connection issue there. Sorry, folks, about that. Uh, but we'll continue on with our picks here. Uh, the next game is the Sunday night game. It's the 4-7 and seven Colts under uh, new coach Jeff Saturday and are going on the road to play. Of course, uh, they're in Dallas. Uh, it's the Cowboys who are 8-3. and three. Dallas looks like they are uh, primed for a postseason run. Uh, I have the Cowboys winning that game on Sunday night. Yeah, I agree with you. I have the Cowboys also winning. I just think that this is a it's going to be a big offensive game on both sides, but I think the Cowboys are going to do their thing and beat the, the Colts. I agree uh, there. And then Monday Night Football, uh, maybe not the matchup that they uh, had hoped for as far as the records of these two clubs when they planned this schedule out uh, months, months in advance. But you have the 4-8 and eight Saints, uh, maybe a fairly disappointing team here this season. Against the team we talked about a little bit ago, the Bucks, who are now at five and six, um, believe it or not, leading that NFC South division. I have Tampa Bay winning that game fun, uh, Monday night coming up. Yeah, I do too. I have I have the Bucks winning. I think they are coming at the point of hey, we can't just give away games anymore. I think the Bucks are going to come and recharge and amp up to beat New Orleans and not take them lightly. I agree with you. I have the Bucks beating the Saints. All right, those are our NFL picks for week 13. Uh, as a friendly reminder, these are not to be used for betting purposes, as Alan and I are considered amateurs in this field. We are not the Vegas line, uh, nor do we have any stake in terms of uh, the outcomes of these games. It's just a friendly rivalry as far as uh, making projections. And Again, we're pretty much tied for this season. And I always like to throw this out there. If you do use our picks and make a lot of money, we certainly do accept donations here on the program. So, 
moving right along, this has been a really good flow to the show here uh, this evening. We kind of started off talking about baseball, went over to the NFL. Now we're going to go back uh, to the baseball side of things uh, as the hot stove picks up. Um, really still kind of early in the off season as far as player movement is concerned. So we'll probably save that for a future date. And I, I really expect probably by the next week uh, that we have a show, uh, so the ninth is next Friday, I believe we'll have seen a little bit more and maybe even a lot more player movement by then. But an interesting thing is taking place this weekend in Major League Baseball, not on the field, but more in the uh, grand scheme of things. So uh, we have the normal process for Hall of Fame balloting. Players retire. They've been retired for five years. They're then eligible to go on to the ballot. Uh, Of course, you have to have 75% of the vote in order to get into the Hall of Fame. And if you receive less than 5%, you are automatically off the ballot. You can stay on the ballot for up to 10 years. So several years back, they introduced a new thing called the Hall of Fame Veterans Committee that allowed several people to get in actually earlier than their normal time frame, like Bobby Cox, Joe Torre. Uh, there's been a few others as well. Uh, Tony LaRusso also was another one. All three of those guys actually got in at the same time. So this year, we've got some huge names on the list. Uh, Barry Bonds, Freddie McGriff, um, Dale Murphy. Uh, there's a few other ones. Uh, you, you had some names in there as well, Alan. Uh, yeah, let me let me let the, the listeners know the names that are on the ballot. It'll be Albert Bell, Roger Clemens, Don Mattingly, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, Rafael Pomero, and Kurt Schilling, as well as Barry Bonds. So there's a very, very good chance, in my opinion, because of the way the voting is set up. There's 16 voters, so you need 12 uh first place or 12 uh, one picks, I guess you could call it. I believe the ballot is set up to where uh, you pick each, uh, each, each of the 16 voters selects, I think, up to 12 players, if I'm not mistaken. I, I may be wrong on that, but if you get, basically if you get 12 votes uh, as an individual player, then you're going to the Hall of Fame. So it's a really neat thing. It's, it's a good idea that they came up with this. It kind of helps catch some of the players – that slipped through the cracks of the regular Hall of Fame voting, I think it's definitely uh, a good thing. And I want to get your take. I, I, I know that we're not going to see every single one of these guys get in. It's just not, not going to work that way, unfortunately. But I think there's a good chance we could see five or six guys from this vote end up getting in this year. I think, you know what, I think Barry Bonds has a very good shot on Sunday at 5 o'clock is when he's going to make the announcement of getting in because to your point, you just need to get 12 votes of 16, which is 75%. But now you look past that, you have to look at the people who are actually voting. Unlike the other way, they don't mention the names of who's voting. This 16 members, you know who's voting. That committee includes Chipper Jones, Greg Maddox, Jack Morris, Ryan Sandberg, Lee Smith, Frank Thomas, and Alan Trammell, those are some of the seven Hall of Famers. But there's also, let me just pull up here, the executives, Paul Bistian, Theo Epstein, Art Moreno, Kim Deej, Dave Stewart-Peter, and Ken Williams. 
There's also three media members, Steve Hidden, Lavelli La Nail, and Susan Slussler. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. But this vote, based on people who's voting, I think Barry Bonds has a very good shot of getting 12 out of 16. I know not everybody's going to vote for him. I know Frank Thomas is a little salty about guys that are on the, you know, the fringe of, of doing something. But outside of that, I think Chipper Jones would vote for him. I think Greg Maddox would actually vote for him because he had faced him. And Greg Maddox is a Hall of Famer. So seven of the people that are voting out of, out of the 12 votes you need are Hall of Famers. Now, I know not every single Hall of Famer, but let's say you eliminate two Hall of Famers out of the seven who don't vote for Barry Bonds. Okay, so he's got five votes there. Then he just needs to get another seven from the other three media members and the six Major League Baseball executives. I think if, if Barry Bonds has a chance to make it, I think this is best opportunity. I would not be shocked if he did make it or he missed it by a vote or two. I think he has a very good shot of making it in a shocker. But I do think he might be the first guy that has so much, I would say, suspicion. He hasn't technically failed the test, but I think he has a very good shot of making it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if he gets in, it's going to be – Right at the right at the twelve votes or seventy five percent mark. Um, you know, my thought. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I, I'll keep it to just the, the the strict points here. If he doesn't get in this time, I don't think he ever gets in because you're, you don't typically appear on a list like this more than once. That's kind of the purpose of this list is to give those guys who are off because every single one of these guys on this list is off of the the normal Hall of Fame uh, ballot. So it would be something like this to come up again in probably another 20 years before anything would happen in the future. So I, I think if he doesn't get in this time, probably either won't happen ever or it'll be a long, long time before it actually does. If he gets in, that's great. Um, there's a couple guys that I, want, I do want to make an argument for that I definitely believe should have gotten in, at least one of them should have gotten in during the regular Hall of Fame voting in, in years past, but unfortunately didn't. And that is Fred McGriff. Um, one of my all-time favorite players, uh, played for Atlanta for four and a half years, but just a really good guy. And the argument I'm going to make for Fred McGriff is they've always said that 500 home runs is an automatic to get into the Hall of Fame, or it has been in the past, of course, as long as you're a clean player. Well, when McGriff played, obviously he ended up hitting 493, seven home runs shy of that 500 magic mark. When Fred McGriff played in the 90s, uh, which was his uh, you know, peak of his career, uh, probably about 91 to 96 was pretty much the prime of his career, I got the, the good fortune back in those days because the Braves were covered, of course, by TBS. I watched pretty much every game every day the entire season. And in 94 or 95, they flashed a graphic up on the screen. Fred McGriff that year was going for his seventh consecutive season of hitting at least 30 home runs or more. And the graphic they popped up on the screen was his name alongside about four or five other players, uh, Babe Ruth, uh, Hank Aaron, and there was a, a list of several other players in there as well. And the common thing he had with those guys, those other players, was he was going to be one of only about a half dozen players in the history of the game 
at that particular time to have seven consecutive seasons with 30 or more home runs and all those other guys were already Hall of Fame players. So that right there is the first argument that I would make. The other one that I would throw out there too is you have guys like Jeff Bagwell, Mike Piazza, Tipper Jones even, who got in with fewer home runs than Freddie McGriff had. And then the last thing I threw out there as an argument is I think that with the steroid and the HGH and all these other PED with that era having gone on, the 500 home runs got inflated to, oh, well, it's got to be 550. It's got to be 600. And I think that's a little bit unfair to a guy like Fred McGriff. Great defensive player, uh, great leader in the clubhouse, won a World Series with Atlanta in 95. Um, So there's a lot of good arguments for him. Um, I want to get your take on whether you agree with those things or whether you think that's uh, a moot point. I, I, you know, but as much as I, I really, really admire Fred McGriff, I really like him, and he is in the Tampa Baseball Museum for people who don't know because he is a Tampa native. I, I just feel as if when you think about Fred McGriff as a career, he, to me, was a very good player. I just think he was maybe a slight cut above, slight cut below that Hall of Fame threshold. I just – my – take on Fred McGriff as a career. Yes, he, he's seven home runs away from 500, and I don't really hold that all against him as far as him having 500. But I just I just feel as if I don't think he, he's right at that Hall of Fame meeting. Somebody who I think is you're allowed to vote up to three that's on this ballot. I think Dale Murphy has a better shot. And I would even make the argument that a guy like Don Mattingly should be a guy that I feel as if, when you think about Hall of Famers, I think Fred McGiff is very, very good. And I know that this would be tough conversation if you stand it right in front of me. I think he would be like a slight ledge, slightly below what I would say I would think is a Hall of Famer. That's what I put Fred McGriff at. Not hating on him. It's not being mean. It's just I watched baseball. I know baseball a lot. I think he's a very good player, but it's not the Hall of Very Good. It's the Hall of Fame. There's a difference. I think Barry Bonds, if I was one of those 16 people, I would vote Barry Bonds. You're allowed to vote up to three. I think Barry Bonds, 500 home runs, 500 steals. Yeah, he might have a suspicion of this or that, I think Barry Bonds is one of the best players to play baseball. That's that's how great he is. With or without help, let's just put it like that, I don't put Fred McGriff in that category. I really don't. I just think he's very good, but I don't know about Hall of Fame. Well, let me throw out some numbers here to you uh, just for uh, for effect here. A couple things. Uh, I know two people who will definitely be voting for Fred McGriff uh, over the weekend, and that'll be Greg Maddox, of course, and Chipper Jones. So he's going to get two votes for sure. Whether he gets the other 10 um, will remain to be seen. But let me throw this number out there to you. So 449 home runs and uh, a little over 2,300 hits. Those are the statistics that belong to Hall of Fame first baseman Jeff Bagwell. Fred McGriff had 2,490 hits. He was 10, 10 hits shy of 2,500. He had more hits than Bagwell and almost 50 home runs more than Bagwell, who was in the Hall of Fame. So I think that bolsters Fred McGriff's case right there for 
Hall of Fame worthiness. And then I'll, I'll throw this one out there too to make an argument against someone here. Ironically, it's going to be, uh, in this case, uh, Don Mattingly. Mattingly was a great player too. I, I don't know if I find him necessarily Hall of Fame worthy. I think you'd have to look at his numbers historically. And then, of course, during the uh, 16 or so years that he played in the league, but he finished with 2153, so 2,153 career hits and 222 career home runs. So to me, out of those three guys, Bagwell's already in the Hall of Fame, so it's not really an argument against him. I'm just using him as a kind of a a pinpoint on the map of somebody who's already there. If if we're putting Jeff Bagwell in the Hall of Fame for fewer home runs and fewer hits, I, I can't see Fred McGriff not getting in. I feel like he's he was actually a better player overall than, um, you know, than, uh, than Bagwell was. Bagwell was a power hitter, of course. Most of his home runs came, he had several years where he hit over 40 uh, home runs. Um, but uh, to, to Mattingly, Mattingly had a great batting average. He finished at a 307 uh, as a 307 hitter. Um, I'm not making an argument against Mattingly as a Hall of Famer. I just feel like out of those two guys, I think McGriff is, is the more qualified of the two. I mean, if, if you look at the numbers, he probably statistically would be. I, I'm with you. I really was surprised that Bagwell met it. I, I really think Bagwell kind of got a push in because they wanted a little bit more guys to make it. But I don't look at Bagwell as being one of the, quote, quote, you know, Hall of Famers. He may, I, you know, I'll give credit for that. I wouldn't, you know, but I just don't put him in that category. Of, of Hall of Famers. I just don't. Like, I, I think Fred McGriff will be a person that more people will probably would vote for. I think if out of the votes, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fred got it. What about Dale Murphy? You're allowed to vote up to three. Dale Murphy and Kurt Schilling. I want to get your your thoughts on those two. Well, and I, I've had a good uh, uh, backing, I guess, for both those guys. So, the two biggest things you get put in the Hall of Fame for are where you measure up historically. So in the history of the game, where do you land in what category? Usually if you're a hitter, it's going to be either hits or home runs. RBIs, that comes into play at some point. That's usually a little further down the list. If you're a pitcher, it comes down to strikeouts, wins, and saves. So obviously you sort of somebody like Mariano Rivera – over 600 career saves, you know, obviously he's going to get in based on that number alone. You could blank everything else out. It doesn't matter. So you look at somebody like Kurt Schilling. I'll use him as uh, as an example. The argument I have for him being in the Hall of Fame is he has more wins and more strikeouts during his career than uh, the late uh, Roy Halladay, who got into the Hall of Fame just a few years ago. he had actually a thousand more strikeouts than than, uh, than Roy Halladay. Um, granted, his career was a little longer. One thing that a lot of guys do get also credit for is playing on a good team. You know, you look at the Braves pitchers in the '90s. Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz—all three are in the Hall of Fame because they played for a good team. So, to me, Kurt Schilling—I I think you know, yeah, he didn't win 300 games. Um, a couple of bad years at the beginning. He got traded around a bunch. You know, he was with Houston. He was with Baltimore. Um, he ended up going to Philadelphia at one point. And, you know, obviously the very beginning of his career wasn't exactly great until he got to Philadelphia. 
and he played there for about seven or eight years and got traded to Arizona. And that's really when his career really took off is when he got to, to Arizona and started, you know, pitching with Randy Johnson. And then of course he went to Boston and helped them win a world series. I just feel like his numbers, if you're going to stack up numbers in the era that you played in, so his, his Hall of Fame case for Schilling is the era that he played in. He was better. He was in the top 10% of the, the pitchers that he played with. And if you're in the top 10%, that typically means you're an elite player. So for Dale Murphy, I think that similar argument can be made. Two-time uh, MVP, <coughs> if you match up his numbers versus the, the era that he played in, he was a top 10 player. Um, that's kind of the reason that Bagwell got on. He was a top 10 player during the prime of his career versus the other players he was playing against. So I think you can make a good argument for both players. Um, wouldn't surprise me if that goes either way. I, I, I think you could see one guy getting in, one guy not. Um, but I think this is one of the best ballots I've seen, at least for, for contemporary, uh, more modern players. Um, you know, a lot of times you see guys get in that have been dead for 50 years and, you know, you get to read up on them to know who they were. So this is neat to see this year where all these guys played during our lifetimes, which is nice. It is. And I, I think I think three guys have a very good shot of making it, whether it's Barry Bonds, Fred McGriff, as you mentioned, Don Mattingly, Dale Murphy, Roger Clemens, Albert Bell, Rafael Primera, and Kurt Schilling. I think with the voters that are voting, and seven of them are Hall of Famers already, I, and they're allowed to vote up to a maximum of three candidates, uh, I think three people Sunday are going to be very, very happy. I really do. And I think... You said, uh, you said Rafael Palmeiro is on that list, correct? Rafael Palmeiro is on the list, yes. I'm going to tell but you I, this right now. I'll make a bold prediction that not one single one of those Hall of Famers will vote for him, given that he did fail... Um, PED test in, in uh, 2005. Um, I've never taken steroids, period. And then, of course, uh, four months later, he was suspended for doing exactly that. So I'm going to say this right now, bold prediction. I don't think a single one of those guys is going to vote for Rafael Palmero uh, on, over this weekend. I, I would agree with that, that too. I, I would not – Rafael Palmero would not even get a second glance for me, if I was on this, there's three media members that are voting. If they bless me with the opportunity to vote, I can assure you, you have my word, Aaron, that I would totally agree with you. Rafael Ferrero, to me, is not even consideration. Hey, he's just not. This he's just not. The formality of him being out of the Hall of Fame, I think, when, when this is uh, all said and done, I think this is basically the, the end of his uh, yeah, campaigning ever. And I'm not sure he even cares at this point. He's been out of the game for so long, but um, I, I, I've always felt that, uh, again, a great player. He had a great swing. Um, never, ever would have guessed that he was doing anything um, against the rules all those years ago. But, you know, especially when you get up in front of Congress and you basically lie right to their faces that you had taken something, um, just, just that added, uh, you know, contempt there, in my opinion, that, that should automatically disqualify you forever. So um, it'll be interesting to see. We'll post on our Facebook here. Um, I believe it's going to be sometime on Sunday when they'll make the announcement. What's that? 5 o'clock uh, p.m. Pacific time, which would be 8 o'clock hour. All right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll post on uh, Sunday evening uh, the uh, the results there, um, and we'll congratulate, of course, uh, whomever it is that does 
get the um, get the call to the hall, so to speak. So, uh, yeah. So just use this. Does Barry Bonds get it or not? I'm going to say no because those seven players that are former or seven former players that are Hall of Famers. I'm going to say that's going to be the determining factor right there is those seven guys. And I, I definitely know Frank Thomas isn't going to vote for him. Yeah, no, I agree with you. He's going to hate on him. He's going to hate on the brother. Yep, he's going to hate on Barry. Definitely <laughs> Frank Thomas. He, he, can, he can scratch that one up the list. That's what I'm saying. He needs to get at least five out of the seven. So Frank Thomas would be one out of the seven and he ain't getting it. Who else? Let me do the list again. Chipper Jones, Greg Maddox, Jack Morris, Ryan Sandberg, Lee Smith, Frank Thomas, and Alan Trammell. Well, I think the thing that is going to hurt Barry in this case is some of those last few guys you mentioned are more of the old school uh, players, guys that came up in the maybe late 70s, early 80s and played and, you know, to the early 90s, you know, Ryan Sandberg. Yeah, I can't speak for any of these guys. I have to just kind of speculate and guess on which direction they would go. But I, I think um, some of the older, older crowd, um, like Jack Morris, um, I think probably Ryan Sandberg and Lee Smith. I don't know if those guys are going to vote for him or not. I think the, the best way to know on that would be listening to anything they've ever said steroid-related or PED-related. Um, you know, that would be the, the thing that would, would make the most sense to, to listen for. So, um, I, I can easily see him getting – you have to get 12 votes to get in. I, I can easily see him getting maybe 9 or 10, but I, I just think he's going to come up a little bit short. Uh, that's my feeling on it. To your point, they did say guys like Thomas and Sandberg have taken hard lines against players accused of cheating in the past. So you're right. I agree with you 1,000% on Thomas, Frank Thomas. They said Sam Berger's against that too, so that's two out of the five. I mean, I'm sorry, two out of seven. So he's got to get he's got to get the rest of five to agree. And I and I think Chipper Jones may be on that uh, that same same uh, opinion, I guess you could say as well, uh, as far as you know his feelings on it. Uh, obviously, he played through that entire era, which really probably started in the '80s, but we didn't really pick up on it as viewers until probably about 98, 99, 2000 when the home run chase was going on. And then we, of course, started hearing rumblings and rumors about it well after it had happened. Um, but I kind of feel Chipper is probably on that same, uh, that same uh, way of thinking, if you will. And, you know, somebody like Lee Smith, this is a guy who before Mariano Rivera was the greatest relief pitcher that had ever had played the game other than maybe Dennis Eckersley. Um, he waited a long time to get into the Hall of Fame himself, and he really shouldn't have waited as long as he did. He was kind of one of those guys, kind of like Dale Murphy, who uh, his Hall of Fame case kind of came a little bit after. <coughs> and so I'm not sure that he would be on board uh, as well, as long as he had to wait for getting his due. So I think you could probably make a case for three or maybe four of those guys uh, that are former players that are now in the Hall of Fame. Uh, voting for him, but I, I just feel like if he gets any fewer than four, he's definitely not going in. Okay, and let me go ahead and see. Let's see. If you had a vote, would would you vote for Barry or Roger? If I had to pick one of the two, oh my goodness! Or let's say let's say 
just say one. If Barry was on the on the ballot and you were one of the sixteen, would you vote for Barry? I think the better question would be because you said that each voter has three votes, correct? They have a maximum of three. Yes, maximum of three. So I'll give you who I'm, who I'm voting for. Three, three players yep. that I'm voting for. <laughs> if I had if I had a vote, of course, I'd love to have that chance one day. But uh, definitely Fred McGriff. Um, been very adamant about him. I, I'd go back probably 15 years on him as far as, you know, what I always thought his Hall of Fame candidacy would be. Um, so I definitely would vote for him. Um, Kurt Schilling, I've been an advocate for him for a long time as well. I just feel like when you compare his numbers to some other players who are already in the Hall of Fame, he is actually statistically better. And I think it's definitely about numbers. It's a numbers game, of course. So I definitely feel like it'd be him as well. And he was a dominant pitcher for about a 10-year stretch. He was one of the top five arms in the game, uh, no question about it. So I'd, I'd have Schilling as my number two beyond McGriff. And then I guess my number three pick would probably be – go through that list one more time for me. Sure, sure. No problem. It's Albert Bell. Let me do it in, in alphabetical order. Albert Bell, Kurt Schilling, Don Mattingly. I should have said Dale Murphy, Fred McGriff, and Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds. Wow, that's a really tough one there. Um, you know, Bell, I'm not saying I'm picking him, but Bell for seven or maybe six or seven years was probably the most feared hitter in the game. Um Ironically, he also has 398 career home runs, which is the same number that uh, uh, Dale Murphy has. The thing about uh, Albert Bell is there were accusations against him for PEDs back in the 90s. And I don't remember which direction it went. It was really kind of before all this stuff really got going as heavy as it was, um, which I think it really kind of started in the late 98, 99, somewhere in that range. Um, tough one on this because there's two guys that are basically neck and neck as far as where they were. I would probably go with Dale Murphy. I'm a little bit biased towards him just because, uh, you know, met him a couple times. He's a real nice guy, <laughs> I guess you could say. I actually met Albert Bell, too. Met Albert Bell too, so I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it'd be a toss-up between those two guys because I think they are both excellent players. Like I said, Bell – when he was in his prime in the nineties with, with the Cleveland Indians, um, like I said, he was one of the most feared hitters in the game. He had that year where he hit 50 home runs in 95. I think he followed it up the next year with 48. So he had a, a two year stretch where he hit almost a hundred home runs. Um, he was as good as any player at that time. Unfortunately, and I'll say this for sure, had his career not ended in uh, 2000, he had gone to Baltimore. Uh, I think he was in his second year of his contract with Baltimore and he retired due to a degenerative hip uh, condition that he had, I think he would have gotten to 500 or more home runs, and he would have been a Hall of Famer already, uh, most likely at that point. So I think kind of the injury bug is what kind of slowed him down. Um, so I'd say it's a toss-up between Bell and, and uh, of course, Dale Murphy. Yeah, I – man. You know what? If I had a back for three – uh, I'm putting on. I'm putting. I'm putting Barry Bonds on on my vote. I know it, it's just. It, I just think that I can't get past that 500 home runs, 500 steals thing. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if you take away 
250 home runs from the guy. And do I think he did something? You asking me my opinion? Yes, I do think. But this guy, to me, is just outright phenomenal player. And I just think that 500 home runs, 500 steals, to me, is first ballot Hall of Fame. I don't care who you are. Your friend McGriff, 500 home runs, 500 steals, yo, you, you're in. You're getting my vote, whether I love you or hold you. And it's just that's what it is. I got to go Barry. And out of this list, you're right, it is a tough list, man, because you can only choose three. And I'll give Fred McGriff, even though I think – I said it earlier, well, I think he's very good, but the guy, I've met Fred McGriff, the guy's a really cool guy, and I know he's such a classy guy. He would get it because I'm being so nice, I think. <laughs> so I got to go with Fred McGriff because of that. I'd make an exception for him. And the third vote, it's tough. I've met Roger Clemens, too, and he actually even signed an autograph for me. But I just I just think with Clemens, there's just more – there's more clout around him. I know that it's the same thing with Barry, but I just feel as if Roger – there's a lot more questions about him, to, to be to be yeah. honest with you. I think there's more smoke, put it like that. I don't, I don't feel a way with Barry. Like, I feel as if Barry Clean is a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry. I know what I'm saying is probably not the majority, and you could put up a case on the other way, but I just feel as if I cannot not vote for a guy who I feel as if is one of the greatest players to ever play this game. And that's why I think Barry is. So I have Barry, I have Fred McGriff. It would have to be... I guess I would have to give it to Dale Murphy, the number three. I just yeah. think it's a tough list. I just think it's a tough list. Kurt Schilling, you're right. He he brought up he for ten years straight, but I just think Dale Murphy is just an outstanding player, and I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm going Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, and Barry Bonds. Gotcha. That's a good list for sure. And I want to uh, correct something I said before. Uh, Albert Bell had 381 career home runs not 398. That was Dale Murphy, of course. So we will again uh, post uh, Sunday night uh, when we get the results there, uh, probably 8, 815, somewhere in there. Uh, we'll post uh, those results and congratulations uh, uh, to whomever it is that does get the call to the hall. So uh, last thing we want to go over uh, here tonight before we get to the golf and the, uh, the boxing news, uh, college football playoffs are right around the corner. Uh, right now at the top four, um, change up a little bit here over the last couple of weeks, but tomorrow we have the college football, uh, basically the pre-playoffs, if you want to call it that, the conference championship games, uh, SEC, Big Ten, um, you know, Pac-10 uh, uh, Pac out west, of course, uh, which will help determine the final four picture of the college football playoffs. We're going to be really interested and exciting to see who who goes where. We'll know. I think that'll be Sunday as well. So there's a lot of big announcements coming, of course, this weekend in uh, baseball, as we talked about there just a moment ago, and then college football as well. We'll have that on Sunday night. Um, the Heisman is next Saturday, so that'll be uh, really exciting to uh, to see who wins the Heisman. 
And then uh, I actually posted this on our Facebook page uh, earlier this week. Uh, three big uh, football programs uh, went with uh, three new coaches here this week. You have uh, Matt Rule, formerly the uh, Panthers head coach in the NFL. He goes to the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I know our good buddy Trey Ashby is going to be happy about that one. In fact, I texted with uh, our buddy from Paper Stadiums here earlier this week, and he was actually pretty excited about the, the new hire there. Um, then you have um, – uh, former uh, Ole Miss coach and former now Liberty coach, uh, Hugh Freeze. He goes to Auburn. Uh, really good hire there. And then uh, there was one other um, – oh, uh, Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, so um, this will be more coaching news to happen over the next couple of weeks. I'm sure we'll see some big things happening there. Um, we're going to get into bowl season here. And we'll talk a lot about those bowls actually probably in two weeks as the bowl picture will be a little bit more clear. So, Alan, uh, give me some takes on uh, what's going on in the golf and boxing world here tonight. Sure thing. Yes, and let me talk about the golf first. I just wanted to say that, um, you know, Tiger Woods did say to all our great listeners that he feels if he can hit any shot, but he just cannot walk. So that's his update. And why that's so important is – if you can't walk the course, no matter how great your shots are, it's going to be tough for you to – you might as well, if I'm Tiger Woods, not even enter in a PGA sanctioned tournament because you're not going to win, unfortunately. If you can't walk and hit those shots over the course of four days, you, you unfortunately are not going to win. And the debate was, should he, should he ask for a cart exception in order for him to play I know that those things are not guaranteed to get. I know we've had a lot of debates about that. And the, the other thing is, if you're Tiger Woods, would you? Tiger Woods may said he would not. His pride would not let him apply for a card exemption. I, I feel it's like this. If I'm Tiger Woods, and if that is holding true, meaning you've done all the rehab, you cannot walk, but you can hit the ball really well. You can hit it any place you want. You know what? It might be a, a bruise to your pride, your ego, and it definitely would be a different look seeing Tiger Woods in a cart. But hey, I, I would I would put the I would try to apply because look, if you don't apply, then just you might as well just retire at this point because you really won't have a chance to win a tournament. So it's either getting the exception or not playing in a sanctioned PGA tournament, you know, at that point. It's, that's really what it is. As much as I like Tiger Woods, I, I would apply for the exception, not to say that he would get it, but I would give it a try. And it, otherwise you could just retire from playing. I mean, you could get an appearance fee, but I just don't think it's going to end well if you join a tournament if you really can't walk. So if I'm Tiger Woods, it's either a pride or you winning, and I think if I if I really have a chance to win, and I just need that cart, you know what? I might take a month off to to kind of deal with my pride and my ego, but I'm going to apply for the exemption, and we're going to go with it and see what happens. What are your thoughts, Aaron, on this? You know, I didn't see the entire interview, but I the the feeling that I'm getting from Tiger Woods is he is basically hinting very, very hinting at the end of his playing career as a golfer is right around the corner. 
Um, and this is kind of what I thought was going to happen. I know earlier this year we talked about whether or not he would set the record with winning uh, major tournaments. I don't think he's going to get there. Um, this, is, this is the reason why. Obviously, you can't, can't win if you don't play. Um, but I think that the effects, the, the long-term effects, starting to set in from the, from the car accident, just from the fact that he's getting older now, um, you know, 46, 47, whatever he is now, isn't really all that old. But for an athlete, somebody who's been in great shape your whole career, and then you've had some things thrown off, you know, due to um, surgeries and things like that, it does take a toll on you. So I think that the writing is kind of on the wall at this point, that he is probably, I think possibly by the end of next year, retiring from the PGA Tour. And I will say this about Tiger Woods. I've watched a lot of sports over the years. I'm talking about, obviously, the the great ones that we've uh, ever seen. And I'll I'll name the greatest players in each sport that I've ever witnessed, and I'll get your opinion on whether you think these guys are the same in in your view. Greatest football player I've ever seen, obviously, is is, is quarterback, of course, is uh, Tom Brady. I don't think we have much of an argument there with all he's done. Um, I got the great fortune and blessing of being able to watch Michael Jordan pretty much his entire career um, and the way he dominated. Um, great baseball, obviously, Braves saved my whole life. Uh, Chipper Jones is probably the best player I've ever seen, but I will give you some credit here. Derek Jeter was excellent as well, so two very dominant players, spent their whole career with one team. And, you know, obviously I don't follow hockey like I do everything else, but obviously in our lifetime I think Wayne Gretzky would be the top guy there. No one has ever dominated a sport out of all those guys I just mentioned the way that Tiger Woods has dominated golf from 1997 when he won his first Masters at 21 years old up until, you know, 2000 and, what, 2009? So you're talking about an 11 or 12-year span where he was the – I mean, he, he dominated his sport more than all those other guys put together, essentially, uh, with all the winnings and the, the major championships and tournament wins. Um, so – I think we're witnessing the end of an era here, um, which, I, you know, it's a sad thing to see, but it's going to happen at some point. And, you know, like you said, if you can't walk, I don't, I don't know if I'd say it's necessarily his pride. I think he wants to uh, maybe not necessarily feel like he got an upper, upper hand in, in an area. That, that may be how he feels on it. So um, I wish I could have seen him play. I really do. I, I think uh, the, he's one player, I think, in any sport that I wish that I had gone to a tournament and got to see him play in person. Um, watched him on TV a whole lot over the last 25, 26 years. Um, so I think once his career is over, he's definitely – the game of golf needs him a lot. Um, but as we talked about him on the show, I don't know, six or eight months ago, golf was already a pretty popular sport, but he has done some great things for the sport in that 27-year, 26-year career, whatever it's been. And, um, you know, wish him the best. I, I – I know he's not made an announcement yet. I just, that's kind of the feeling that I get. I don't know if you feel that same way. No, I, I agree with you. I think he's hinting at the end is coming. As far as playing in a PGA-sanctioned tournament, I think he'll still play golf. and I, you, You'll see him at an event pop up and things like that. He's still going to be connected to golf. His son is doing great. But I don't know about playing in a PGA tournament and expecting him to win. I think he's pretty much letting you know the end of that is coming towards towards the end. And yes, it's easy for me to say, yo, you should apply for a cart, but there's a you're right. If he does get it 
and let's say he does win a tournament, people are going to say, well, you won because you had the card. You know what I mean? It, it's always going to be a but with his winning. You understand? It won't be he won because he was the best player. He won because he got an exception for a card. It's going to be the excuse. But yeah. whether he gets, he, he gets the card or not, I totally agree with you. I just think this guy was the GOAT. And the only thing that stopped him was basically allegedly his wife coming in with the nine iron that Thanksgiving weekend because she found, she found out. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing that's basically stopped him from catching Jack and going on for many years of being dominant. It wasn't really the cheating. It was that he got caught. <laughs> and his wife found out. And she came allegedly with the nine iron. He backed out with the Cadillac and crashed her to, uh, you know, a tree. And we all know what happened afterwards. But, yeah, this guy has just been just a dominant. And I really have to thank him because he transcended golf. Golf has not, from what I can ever remember about golf, has never been as popular as it is now. It has never been this popular. You're cool if you're playing golf. I'm talking about golf with guys, golf with women. Golf is like a cool sport now if you're into golf. And I don't remember it ever being like this until Tiger stepped on the seed and did his thing. So I have to thank him for that, that he's opened up doors. And he's also, for me, being African-American, he's opened up doors in the fact that I don't feel unwelcome going to a golf course. You understand? I, I feel like I'm more accepted. Minorities are more accepted on the golf course. And I owe that a lot to Tiger he he did his thing, and you're right. I've I've had a chance to watch Tiger at an event. It was a practice round, and I tell you, Aaron, I'll tell the listeners too. I have never seen somebody so focused at anything in my life. I mean, this guy. This was during a practice session too. He was just so dialed in and focused, and it was unbelievable. And you know what? Kudos to him. I, I respect his decision whether he applied for it or not. It, it is his decision. But, yeah, he, he's a true GOAT in golf. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we'll uh, ever see anything quite like uh, him again. So, wish him the best, though, and, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully he is somehow able to continue playing. But, like you said there before, if he's not able to, it's understandable with, uh, with what's happened here health-wise recently. Yeah. So. Well, great show here tonight, Alan. Uh, definitely uh, want to thank uh, you for being uh, part of the show again here this evening. Um, we uh, obviously took the break off last week, so we're glad to be back. Had a lot of news to get to here tonight. want to thank our excellent sponsor, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting. You may need a support group. And I like to always remind our audience, as Christmas is coming up right around the corner, New Year's for that matter as well, go online, buy some of his sauce, get that four-pack. makes a great gift. And it's also a great gift for yourself if you're having any, uh, you know, barbecues for bowl season, football season, that kind of stuff coming up here. Definitely grab some of that stuff. It is really, really good. So um, other than that, uh, great show. We will be back again uh, next Friday uh, to pick up where we left off and uh, go from there. So uh, to our great audience, thank you for listening here tonight. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Listening to the Evan and Aaron's Full Stop Podcast. 
Thank you.